All right. Good morning, church family. All right. Good to have each of you here today. Uh, just uh, want to welcome you if you're new to our church family. I know I've met a couple of you this morning. It's your first time with us. I just want to say we're grateful to have you here. After the service, we have a kind of a little bit of a cafe spot that is a place for you to kind of hang out and get a chance to meet some people and uh, you know kind of learn about our church, get comfortable with people that are here. So that's immediately following the service every Sunday. And then there's a connection table out front as well where you can sign up and uh, leave information about yourself that you want to leave and not leave what you don't want to leave. All right. Um, so the couple things that people have been asking about through the week, uh, Doug and Sherry's daughter, Sarah, uh, Doug being one of our pastoral team members, he's not with us today, but normally is here. Uh, so Sarah did make it to Kiev. Um, I think she had a two-day journey just from Poland getting into the city of Kiev. And uh, obviously, uh, just a continued desire for you to be in prayer for her, for the whole team. There's, there are so many... Uh, believers who have committed to going into that country, not necessarily because they agree with everything in Ukraine, but as an effort to support people that are hurting in a very, very bad way. And every person that is in country uh, is taking a rather serious risk. Okay. So we just want to be encouraging you to be praying for Sarah as she's there. Uh, we also want to give thanks to the Lord this morning because uh, Don and Sandy's daughter, Hannah, is uh, carrying triplets and uh, they needed to do in utero surgery uh, this week uh, in order to help one of the babies to get nourishment and just uh, yeah and everything worked out great so we praise god uh, for that blessing okay it's fascinating to me uh, that when you care about life you pour all this effort into preserving and that you could actually move the opposite direction at the same point in a pregnancy to terminate. And the absurdity of that thinking becomes so clear, doesn't it? When you're doing life-saving things in the womb, it tells you there's a life there, all right? And the whole issue revolves around the definition of what's within, okay? That's the point you have to settle. Once you settle that, the conclusion about what should be done is very simple, okay? So be careful that you don't get caught up in the thinking that distracts and distorts the truth that what happened this week in utero was a life-saving surgery, okay? So just let that, and then that'll help you to think correctly and biblically about the value of life. So we want to thank God for that and uh, rejoice along with Don and Sandy. Uh, also, Ed Quinones's father-in-law, Liz Quinones's dad, uh, was in the hospital. They had started moves to get him on, uh, get her dad on um, life support, and uh, had called in the hospice nurse, which is you are definitively turning towards an end. And God miraculously intervened on Friday night, and completely. Ed's a nurse himself, so completely reversed the situation it said i've never seen anything like that so we want to rejoice also before the lord for that and continue to pray for liz's dad and the needs that are present okay so i'm going to lead us in prayer this morning i want to ask you to stand with me as we pray talk to the lord bear these burdens before him 
so Father, as we come this morning, we have a lot of things to be grateful for. Uh, Lord, thank you for the way that you worked in Hannah's body this week on the lives of those three little ones in life-saving ways. Uh, all, all we can say, Lord, is we sought you and you heard our cry and you answered. So we just simply say, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Uh, for Liz Quinones's dad, uh, this just really miraculous turn of events in the hospital, in the eyes of the doctors, in the eyes of the nurses, to see such an amazing thing. God, I pray that you have preserved his life physically for his saving eternally. We pray that you would turn his heart, God, in this season of awakening, that you would turn his heart to know and to trust in Jesus Christ. We also pray for Sarah as she has now come into the city of Kiev. And Lord, we know that there are immense uh, dangers uh, and threats that are present. And we trust that you will protect the life of those, each life of those that have gone to serve in an area where most of us would probably be unwilling because of the sacrifice or the risk. So we thank you for Sarah's willingness and trust that you will use her mightily uh, in that place to make Jesus Christ uh, known as saving. Uh, so ask your protection over her and strength over Doug and Sherry. We pray for Adam Madison, who uh, broke her arm and hip in a fall this week. We trust that you will be restoring her. Uh, Lord, we pray for the elections this week, that you would do your will and purpose. And that good would be done uh, through it, that we would do our part as believers to uh, engage in uh, that responsibility as citizens here. Uh, we pray for the Karen and Center in Hackettstown. God is a, an organization that you have allowed us to support for over 20 years. Uh, protection over them and God, uh, success in this uh, endeavor to save lives. Uh, we pray uh, for Laura Hanrahan and the many people that volunteer there and support there. Uh, just use that ministry, God, to reach and save lives. And uh, as we uh, think about various needs that may be present here this morning, things that we have not mentioned specifically, Lord, all of it is naked and open before your eyes. You know the burdens that individuals carried this morning. You know the burdens that families carried this morning, the things that maybe we don't feel comfortable to share or to speak of, but those needs are real. And so, Lord, we lift those burdens before you as well. And, and we know, God, we don't have to mention every one. You know it all. And so we bring it before you and trust and ask that you will respond in powerful ways to support and bless your people because you simply call us to trust you. So, Lord, help us today to trust you and help us to exalt and adore you in our season of worship this morning. And as we come into that, we were mindful of Revelation 4.11 that says, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power and blessing. For you created all things and they exist because of you. You created as you pleased. And so, Lord, this morning as your creatures, as people that you love through the cross of Christ, we want to say you are worthy, Lord. And we pray that as we sing, that we will be blessing and honoring your holy name. And we ask for these blessings because of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So real quick, one announcement I'm remembering to give you. Immediately after the service, we have a baptism class in the classroom back to the left.
So we just want you to be uh, mindful of uh, that. Uh, at the end of the service, if you're interested in believer's baptism, we'll be having that class back to the left. Okay? All right. Let's worship. everybody would you sing with us praise the lord praise the lord his mercy is more stronger than darkness new every morn our sins they are many his mercy is more Yes, His mercy is more. What love could remember? What love could remember? No wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, He counts up. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn, our sins they are many, His mercy is more. Yes, we praise you, Lord, for your mercy. What patience, what patience would wait as we constantly roam. What Father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Yes, His mercy is more. Riches, riches of kindness, he's lavished on us. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We stood beneath the dead we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Praise the Lord. is more stronger than darkness new every morn 
Chapel family, I want to encourage you with a powerful testimony. On behalf of Hannah and her husband Andrew and their family, they have seen a miracle. So as you know, she's pregnant with triplets. There's a set of twins and what I call a bonus baby on the side. And this past Thursday morning at our ultrasound, we found out that one twin is really weak and one twin is too strong, both dangerous situations. So they offered to terminate the twins and go on with just the one baby. Or she could have this procedure. Anyway, so she, she, they sent her to CHOP in Philly, and she had this unbelievable procedure. They go into her belly. I just have to tell you this very small incision with a laser and a camera. And the twins are sharing a placenta. So they had to go in and cauterize certain arteries in this shared placenta. So in effect, the twins would each then have their kind of like own placenta to get them more equally balanced in their nutrients. And by the way, they did say to her, when we do this procedure, we could also cut off the blood flow to the smallest baby. I want to read to you Hannah's testimony that came in after the procedure. Okay, I just got the best news ever. One of the doctors who was in the surgery yesterday just came in to check on the babies and do the ultrasound. She started out by saying that the surgery went super well. And it went really smoothly, smoothly and even the babies cooperated, which isn't always the case. And they got the job done beautifully. By the way, Hannah was only sedated. She was not um, anesthetized, whatever that word is. So after the scan, then, then she had the ultrasound again. And the doctor, after scanning the baby, she said, she kept saying, beautiful, wow, they look great. This is the quickest recovery we've ever seen. Hallelujah, God gets the glory. And that's after offering two times, like what PT said, to terminate. 
Hannah writes, God of miracles, I was waiting until all three were scanned to really show emotion because I've been so concerned about them. Praise God and thank you so much for offering so many prayers for these precious souls. So we're all waiting on miracles. I want to encourage you to keep praying. God bring in the miracles. So come on, let's shout for joy now. Jesus, you saved us. Jesus. 
Strength and battle me. 
Turn to heaven 
and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. Yes, it is. The end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine? Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory. To wear my sin and bear my shame. Hallelujah. The cross has spoken, and I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ. My living hope. Sing hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Then came the morning that sealed the promise, your buried body began to breathe out of the silence. The roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Then keep the morning that sealed the promise. Your very body began to breathe out of the silence. The Thank you. 
shame There's salvation in your name Jesus Christ, my living hope Jesus Christ, my living hope Oh God, you are my living hope Yes, we sing hallelujah this morning, Lord. We glorify you and you alone. Yes, you are the God of miracles. Both big ones that are incredible and obvious, like Hannah's uh, surgery on her babies. But God, there are little miracles happening all the time around us. Things you've kept us from. Things you're moving us toward. And Lord, for many of us in our lives this morning, we need a miracle. Many of them are medical in a lot of ways, but some of them are deep hurts and deep problems that go way back that we need a miracle over. And I'm sure for many of us, we've tried to talk ourselves away from those things or talk to others about them. And all that's good. And that's important. But if it's not centered around Jesus Christ, it's not going to work. God, we thank you that you do miracles in our lives. We thank you that you've saved us, you've forgiven us, you've redeemed us, you put us on the right path. And you are our living hope. We're not singing to a dead God. We're singing to a God who is alive. And not just a God, but the God. The one and the only one. Lord, within our congregation this morning, Lord, our hearts are full this morning of praise and glory to you and you alone. And yet, of course, Lord, we're also thinking about the issues that are happening within us. Things are happening to us, around us. Look at the world and know it's broken. We need you, Lord. Help us to cling to you like we sang this morning. There's nothing I can do. My only hope is that you cling to me. And that's what you've done by sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sins so that I can go free. God, as we hear your word this morning, Lord, may it go down deep inside of us and take root. And like I heard really for the first time last week, and I probably read that passage in Ecclesiastes a thousand times, but that line about you put eternity in our hearts. That's true. I felt it. And I know that's true. Death seems wrong. And we feel that even in our DNA, Lord, in our souls, we know it's wrong. We feel like we're supposed to live forever. That it can't just be this many years and then we're gone. And the only way that we live forever, Lord, is with you. That's it. It's the only way. We have to come to faith in you, Lord, and then you. We fall asleep in Christ and we wake up with you. God, please speak to us more and more this morning through Ecclesiastes. We thank you for this time of worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. My name is Jim Bates. I'm here to bring to your attention that the month of October has been designated Pastor Appreciation Month. The focus on the family uh, with Dr. James Dobson have set this time aside. I have suggested that we set this time aside so that uh, we can give the pastors a, a note that we really appreciate their ministry. This is based, basically based upon what the scripture says here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. It says this, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge of you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. 
I'm here to challenge you to do that very thing, to appreciate the men that God has given us to teach us God's word. I would like to pray for Pastor Tim and Pastor Doug and Pastor James right now. Would you join me? Father in heaven, I thank you that you have given the gift of a pastor teacher to each of these three men, that they might open your word and show us what the word of God says and wants us to be and to do. I pray your rich blessing to continue upon them, Father, protect them and their families. And Lord, I ask that as you bless them, we will see souls saved. We will see believers growing in their faith in Christ, and we will see honor and glory unto our wonderful, great God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you and thank you for these men, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Dismissed for junior church. Pastor Bates, thank you for that. He spent many years serving um, as a pastor as well, so comes from his pastor's heart. Uh, would you turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 3? Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I entitled the message this morning, Life is Difficult, Yet There is Hope. And um, as, as we heard so many of those songs this morning, um, so many of those songs hit some of the same themes. So Carmelo and your team, thank you again uh, for all that you do for us. I'm going to read through this passage, just read through it um, first through, and then we'll uh, give you some ideas through it. Um, I, I should tell you this, when, when the Bible was written, there were no chapter divisions and there were no verses. It was just written as a letter um, or a document. Uh, so the verses that you have and the chapters you have were added later, so they're not inspired. Um, and that's why you'll see here that our section seems to go from the end of chapter 3 to the very beginning of chapter 4 because it seems like it's one theme and those that put the verses in probably just didn't do a good job on this piece. Um, but what we're going to see is hopefully a theme today and we're, three things hopefully you're going to see jump out. One, that life is difficult uh, because there's injustice in this world. Life is difficult because there is death in this world, and that life is difficult because there is oppression in this world. And so in injustice, death, and oppression, uh, what you're going to see here. But let's look at this passage, and we'll spend some time going through this. This is the word of the Lord. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 16 and following. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. And I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. One dies... 
so dies another. They all have the same breath, and the man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are dust from dust, and to dust they return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward or the spirit of the beast goes down to the earth. So I saw that there was nothing better than a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Chapter 4, verse 1. And again, I saw all the oppression that was done under the sun. And on behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they have no one to comfort them. And on the side of the oppressor, there was power. And there was no one to comfort them. And I thought, the dead who are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who is not yet born and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. This is God's sufficient, eternal, authoritative, life-giving, and life-changing word. Would you pray with me? So, Father, as we, as we wrestle through this passage and we see that life is so difficult, those three words are, are so very true, and, and so many of us here know them, Father. We know that life is difficult, it is painful, it is toilsome, it is challenging, it is hard. But Father, I pray that as we, as, we sung, as we sang this morning, I pray that we would hear the hope of Christ coming through the darkness. I pray that we would see the light of his glory coming through. I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would take your inspired word here and plant it deep into our hearts and remind us that there is eternity in our hearts, Lord, and that you can make all things new. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Worldview means everything. How you see the world, how you perceive the world makes all the difference in the world. Your convictions, your beliefs, your um, truths, what you believe to be true plays such a significant role. Your worldview or your view of the world matters. Your view of the world when it comes to yourself, the view of the world when it comes to others, when your view of the world when it comes to your past, your present, your future, God, all of your worldview makes such a difference. How you perceive things make a difference. I think I've told you before that in, in my counseling, I, I try to help people who are in pain. And, and some of the pain is from their past and some of the pain is from their present. But the big issue is that it influences their perspective on life. And so what we do in counseling, what we do in pastoring, what we do in teaching people is help them to have a different perspective on life, you know? And what we do is we teach them about a person, God, but specifically Jesus Christ. And we talk to them about principles and promises right from God's word. And then we give them a pathway. We, we help them to take God's word and apply it in their lives so that they can live in a way so that there could be peace, hope, and joy in their lives. But your worldview matters because we need clarity in the midst of this crazy time. We need clarity in the midst of all the confusion and all the chaos that is happening, all the pain and all the problems, all the trials and all the troubles. We need clarity. We need clarity about who God is. We need clarity about what God requires of us. We need clarity. Because when you don't have that clarity, what you're going to find is that you're going to struggle. 
There's some questions I ask people I work with, and a series of questions. And the reason why I ask questions is because I really want to try to understand what they think and what they believe to try to bring that to the surface. And, and one of the questions I ask them is, where did you come from? Where did humanity come from? I, I, I ask this question about origin. And so you want to get a sense of what a person believes about their origin. Or I may ask the question, who are you? Who am I? I want to understand your identity, what you believe about yourself. Why, is you, why are you here is another big question. What's the reason for your life? What's the purpose for your life? So, so where did you come from? Or who am I? Or why am I here? Or here's a good question that you may ask people. What is your greatest problem? See, when you ask people what your greatest problem is, they have a tendency to go outward, right? They tend to look around them. It's what's happened in my past or what's happening around me. It's the, the guy that's in office right now, or it's this person or that thing. And it's like all the things that are happening in their lives. So, so where did you come from? Who are you? Why are you here? What is your greatest problem? Where are you going? You know, when you take your last breath, where are you going? What's your destiny? What is true? What is right? See, when you ask those kind of questions, it's going to be amazing the kind of answers that you get. Because the kind of answers that you get will reveal what's going on deep within. Well, the writer to Ecclesiastes is asking himself some of those same questions. He's asking himself and he's asking us to consider those questions. And I want you to think about the themes that we talked about. Now, there are three themes I think we see. Life is hard first because of injustice. Look at verses 16 through 17. And he says this, he says, that which is, well, actually, do me a favor and go back to verse 15. Now, Pastor Doug ended verse 15 last week. Now, in my version, it has a semicolon at the end, and then it says, and God seeks what has been driven away. Now, some include that last piece with the, first, the section that Pastor Doug dealt with. Some, though, include that last piece with the section I'm going to preach on. I'm going to argue that it connects to this piece. And watch what it says here. It says, God seeks, at the end of verse 15, God seeks what has been driven away. What does it mean that God seeks? God seeks for justice for those that are persecuted. God seeks for things to be held right. God seeks that the persecutors will be held accountable. The word seek here has a legal sense. It's talking about the fact that there is this, this frustration that the, the writer is talking about here. But he says that God seeks, God in a legal sense, God is going to hold those persecutors accountable. And now he goes into verse 16. Moreover, so I, I think what he did is he ended 15 with a summary statement of what he's going to do here. And then he's going to give you the argument. So summary statement is God seeks for justice. God will hold those accountable. And then he goes into verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. Now in my version, he takes that same word wickedness and he doubles it. And the reason for that is this. He wants to emphasize that wickedness is happening in this world. 
I don't think you and I have to be uh, convinced of that. You, you turn on the news, you, turn, you pull up a social media account. I, in fact, have turned off my news because every time my news organization would bing, 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 more problems, more problems, more problems, more problems in this world. But what, what the writer here is saying that is life under the sun, remember life in this world, that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And what he's saying is that this world is evil, but he's saying that even the courts are evil. The place where you're supposed to get justice was the place where evil was happening and wickedness was happening. It's wrong. And when you have a society where the legal system can't even be trusted, you have chaos. He says, in the place of righteousness, there was wickedness. Have we become so numb to the fact that there's such injustice in this world? I worry sometimes that you listen and it's like, well, this person got shot. Well, this person was sexually assaulted. Well, this ruler took over. And it's like, you know, you hear it and it's like, oh, well, just keep going on. Have we become numb? Have we become so deaf? Have we become so oblivious to it? The, the writer here is like shocked at the wickedness of this world. Have you gotten to a point where you just hate the evil that is happening in this world? Is there something that rises up in you that says, that's not fair. That is not right. That is not just. I don't know. I don't hear it as much anymore. We just go by day after day. The writer is saying, under the sun, in the place of justice, there is wickedness. Our Lord Jesus Christ went into the temple and he went into the temple, which was a place of worship. And as he went into that temple, what did he see? He saw people taking advantage of others. And there were sections. There was a Gentile section of the temple, and there was a Jewish section of the temple. And apparently, some of the Jewish people were selling things in the Gentile section and taking advantage of Gentiles, supposedly brothers and sisters in Christ, and taking advantage of them. Prejudice and and Dis dishonoring people was there and Jesus was so angry that he went in there and ripped up those tables because it is anger. This is my father's house. This is supposed to be a place of prayer. Jesus was driven by the fact that the injustice that was happening in this world and he wanted to do something about it. I'm afraid, and I got one out, three fingers point back, I worry how oftentimes we become numb to the injustice that happens around verse 17 here's hope he says yes life is difficult because of injustice but he says here's my hope here's the glimmer of hope i said in my heart which is really good to do at times tell your heart direct your heart tell your sometimes your heart will take you the wrong path tell your heart which way to go and use scripture he says what god will judge the righteous and the wicked for there is a time for every matter for every work. There's a time, whether it's a time in the future when God is going to judge or a place where God is going to judge, whether it's time or place, God is going to judge. So many people worry what, and they say, the, one of the biggest questions I got in my counseling office was that this, why does a loving God allow the sufferings in this world? That's a hard question to answer, that, that God, you could stop this at any time, but you don't. 
My answer would be to bring people to passages like this. God's going to judge. God will deal with injustice in his time. At times, justice is served in this life, but other times it is not. But in the final judgment, it will be served. And that should give us hope that there's a place and there's a time of justice. I want you to think about this, that Ecclesiastes is interesting. God is here in verse 15, the seeker of justice, that those that are persecuted, it talks about the brevity of life, which we just talked about. It talks about the corruption and the oppression. It talks about oppression and injustice that fills the hearts with bitterness and resentment. And it's been that way since Genesis chapter three and this evil that is within our hearts, the propensity to do harm and hurt towards others is just so great. And where there's supposed to be a place of justice, even in our court system, it is broken at times because of brokenness within us. And those that are poor are those that are being taken advantage of. And those that are weak are being taken advantage of. And the teacher speculates that um, there's a punishment that's coming. And that if you don't remind yourself of the punishment and the judgment that is coming, it can lead to hopelessness for the poor. But there is hope if you think about a divine judgment coming. So he's, he's telling you that coming judgment is coming and that is, should bring you some level of hope. So in the past, evil, wickedness, hurting one another. The present, evil, wickedness, hurting one another. The future, until Christ returns, evil, witness, hurting one another. That's been the way because of the curse of sin. The curse of sin has affected our lives. And ever since the beginning, that wickedness and that injustice, the unrighteousness that you were created, believe it or not, that one of the questions why were you created? You were created to reflect the righteousness of God and the holiness of God. And when we don't do that, we show unrighteousness and unholiness, brokenness, and all of the wickedness that happens in this world. How frequently do you hear the complaint that that's just not right? That's not fair. How many times have you found yourself reading in, on the news about the wickedness that is happening? How many times have you heard of injustice and unrighteousness? And then we get to this political season. I can't stand the political seasons, to be honest with you. Why? Because politicians make these high sounding phrases about utopia if you just elect them, right? Because if you elect the right person, everything's gonna change. Yeah, it's going to be great. That system is bad. My system is the best. You get me into office. I'll give you the best system. But what happens? Nothing. Liars. I think they actually believe it, though. But the reality is the best system in the world is subject to failure because of sinfulness of humanity. I will vote... Um, my, my conscience, I will vote in a way that I think is best lining up with God's word, but I don't place my faith in a politician. And if you do, you will find yourself broken. See, what's wrong 
in this world cannot be made right unless God does. See, the justice system even here in this world is not perfect because it is coming from imperfect people, but there is an ultimate justice system that is right. Turn with me to, hold your finger there and turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 in the New Testament. Just going to be reading verses 5 through 12. See, this is where it should give us hope for those that are broken, for those that are being mistreated. There's evidence, verse 5, of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with afflictions those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming sword, inflicting vengeance upon those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of God and from the glory of his might. And when he comes on that day to be glorified with his saints and to be marveled at all who believe because of our testimony to you who believed. To this end, we all pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so what he's saying is this, the writer Ecclesiastes is looking forward. He doesn't see Christ yet because he doesn't have that information. We look back at Christ and God is telling you that judgment is coming. And if you are being mistreated or injustice is happening in your life, put your hope in the fact that God is in control. It seems out of control, but God is in control. It seems chaotic and confusing, but God is clear. Go back with me to Ecclesiastes. So he says life is difficult and hard because there is injustice. But then he says life is difficult and hard because of death. Death is um, it's a challenging thing uh, for so many of us. Some of us fear death. We worry about our own death. We, we sense the death of our loved ones and fear it. For, it's interesting that death, for some of us, some of us don't believe that there's a future at all. Some of us believe that when we die, it's over. Some of us believe that when we die, we automatically get heaven. One writer said this, that there's a God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment by a Christ without a cross. Interesting. Back in the 1950s, he looked at the, the church in his time and he said, There's, they preach a God without wrath. A God who's not angry at sin. And, and a kingdom without judgment. That there's, you get to go to heaven, there's no judgment. And that there's a Christ, but no cross. 
It's sad to say that there's, that's the reason that's the way so many people preach today and teach today. But the writer here is saying that death is coming. Look, look what it says in verse 18. Yes, there's injustice in this world, but then he says this. I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that's humanity, that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies another. They all have the same breath. The man has no advantage over the beast. For all is vanity. All people go to one place. All go to one place. All are from dust. And to dust they return. This is really a challenging section because it's like, are you saying that we're no better than the beast? Are you saying that we are not created in the image of God? Are you really saying that we're all going to the same place? In essence, yes, but not, no, but not completely. See, he's not denying that there's an afterlife. He's not denying that there's a, an eternity. He, he, in fact, just in the verses before, said that God is going to judge in the future. So he's not saying that there isn't an afterlife. What he is saying is this, that when we live a godless life, we start to live like an animal. And when we live like an animal, we are to be expecting the end like an animal. See, God desires that people sense that they are greater than animals. God desires that you sense that who I am and why I am here, those big questions of life, come back to God. But when you don't do that, and people and animals will ultimately share the same fate, we will die. He's saying that uh, humans are mortal. And afterlife is real. And he's saying this, that, you know, there's an eternity. Death is interesting because for some it's oblivion. For some it's a transition to a new life. Maybe you reincarnate. For some they believe that they're giving heaven without Christ. But Christianity teaches that you get heaven through the bloody work of Christ and that you are raised body and soul to an eternity with him. Not just your soul, not just your body, but body and soul raised up with him. The glory of that is just amazing. The biblical Christianity tells us that death is consistently described as a curse. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it talks about that. But what it tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 is that death is a curse, but it also says because of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have hope of conquering death. Death has no claim on me, right? None. Because of what Christ has done. But as the writer here is saying this, that you, all the possessions that you have, all the accomplishments, you can't take them with you. They are not eternal. But what he is saying is this, that if we do not live God-centered lives, we are going to live in a way that looks more like the world and more like an animal. So God is testing us. He's proving us. He's exposing to us what is important to us. People are created in the image of God. 
on believers who have lost that view of righteousness and holiness, part of that image, they cannot expect anything better. When they mask the beauty of the righteousness and the holiness of God, they will develop greater and greater animalistic tendencies in their lives, and that is us. And the fact is, is that when you live like an animal, you will start to speak like an animal, you start to think like an animal, and an animal will, well, an animal's pretty self-centered. You know, you put two animals together and they will fight for whatever. They don't give, they don't love, they don't sacrifice like you do as a human being because you're created in the image of God. And since we have adopted animalistic behaviors towards one another, it is clear that we could expect nothing more for our future than animalistic. You were created for something greater than this. It says in verse 21, who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward or the spirit of beast goes downward to the earth. So I saw there was nothing better than a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? He's, he's writing here and he's saying that he's not denying that men and beasts are the same. He's not, he's not saying that men and beasts are the same. He is saying that you, created in the beauty of God, with the ability to work and to flourish, if you do not live with that goal, you will start to live like the world. So, so work hard. Work in a way that's going to honor God and reflect him. He wants you to consider the circumstances of your life as mere earthly perspective from an earthly perspective. And what he wants you to do is this. He wants you to live in such a way that you don't live for yourself or by this world or by external things, but with eternity in mind, with future in mind, with hope in mind. And when you do that, not merely earthly, but eternal, then what happens is this, that God created you for a special creation. God created you for a special way. He wants you to be his image bearers in this world. You are much more than an animal. And when you do that, it's okay to be happy with the work that you do. It's okay to take joy in work. But don't make that the ultimate goal of your life. Don't make that the ultimate end of your life. Your homes, your cars, your jobs. Make Christ the ultimate end of your life. And then use those instruments to reflect him. Because when we pass away, all of the things will be repudiated, they will be destroyed, they will be squandered by others. I can't take it with me. But what I can do is that I can have those things in life and I can take pleasure in those things in life and I can hold them loosely in my hands. And when I hold them loosely, serving God and honoring him through these things, that's where real hope comes. So life is hard because of, of injustice. And life is hard because of death. But even there in each one of them, injustice, there is a future judgment. Death, well, there's a hope. Yet there is hope. And then he goes through his third thing. Life is difficult because of oppression. 
So Solomon now turns from injustice in general to oppression specific. And what he says is this. He says that the oppressed have no one to take up their cause. No one. And that no one to comfort them. Two things. That no one is taking up their cause. No one is pleading their case. No one is, is their advocate. No one is seeming to fight for those that are suffering oppression. And there's no one to comfort them. No one to hear their tears and no one to wipe those tears away. No one to offer a shoulder of comfort. So you're seeing the injustice in this world and the death in this world leading to this oppression. The advantage lies seemingly with the oppressor. Isn't that our society today? Those that are in power seem to get more power. I told you about a comedian that I used to watch and I really liked and he got to a place where all the comedy that he created in this world, uh, I think it was just revealing that there was something deep that was happening within him. He took his own life. I'll tell you another actor, comedian that I used to love. I mean, this, this guy was the dude, man. He was called, the, he was called America's dad. He had power. He apparently violated that power with women. Apparently drugged them, took advantage of them, abused them, used them for his own power. When you have power, and it doesn't just have to be Hollywood, it could be, it could be Washington. It could be Trenton. It could be Washington, New Jersey. If you have power, and it is not reined in by the power of God, you could take advantage of people. The exploitation today that happens can hurt. There's so many people that are oppressed today and they can seemingly do nothing about it. And they cry out, but who is hearing their cries? Look at the passage, what does he say in verse one? And again, I saw the oppression that all done under the sun in earth and behold, the tears of the oppressed, there was no one to comfort them. And on the side of the oppressor, there was power. They could do whatever they wanted, the power to act, they had the freedom to do as they pleased. It was unhindered, unrestrained power. And there was no one to comfort those that were broken. Verse 2. And I thought the dead who already were dead were more fortunate than the living who were alive. But better than both is he who is yet not born. And has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. The writer here says that death seems more preferable. And maybe it's the only hope for those that are oppressed. You know, thankfully, this side, uh, in, this, in our portion of the world, we do not have to suffer the persecution that brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ are suffering today. Brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ are going to be killed today for their faith. All around this world. You sit in this sanctuary with comfort. You can open your Bibles, you can get up and sing, you could go out there at fellowship time afterwards and you probably have no fear and there are brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ that do not have that same thing and they live in the constant fear and maybe they get to a point where it's like, I'd just rather die and get out of here. That's what the writer's saying, it's better. Maybe someone who's not even been born and seen the, the wickedness of this world, it would be better. It seems to be the better alternative to life. 
He see, he looks and sees that life lived on the earth without God ultimately brings exploitation, frustration, loneliness, disappointment in life. Now, some of us think we're victims of chance, right? But we're not. There is a wickedness that is happening, and there's also the sovereignty of God. I was riding my bike yesterday with my daughter, and the leaves were blowing all over the place as we were riding uh, our path. And it just kind of thought, I kind of thought about the cycle of life, the beauty of those trees in the spring and the summer, and now the changing of the season, and now those leaves fall off and they fall to the ground, and they're rode over on my bike. <laughs> And they will be sucked up in some vacuum cleaner that's going to crush it. And isn't that kind of life at times? The exploitation of the weak by the powerful. We can live in a democracy, but exploitation can happen. Sometimes it's very subtle. You know, in some countries, it's really big. But in our country, maybe it's small. Maybe for me... I'm learning about bullying in school and trying to get kids to stop bullying one another. How about the, the husband that mistreats his wife or his children? Yeah, we hear about um, sex trafficking and slavery around the world, even today. And the exploitation of those that are being taken advantage of. Some people get to the point where they have gotten so broken that they even want to take their own lives. Because I just want to get out of here because there is no comforter outside of God. So our teacher is grieving for the oppressed. He doesn't really offer much hope to the oppressed here. He, he confesses that they're better off dead. He confesses that it's vanity to live under the sun. But we know this. Because life is hard and life is difficult because of oppression. And life is hard and life is difficult because of death. And life is hard and life is difficult because of oppression. But life is difficult, yet there is hope. So I end with this. How is there hope? Well, there's hope because there is a God who looks at this world and he says, I'm going to make all things new. There is a God who says, this is not out of my control. There is a God who says, Jesus says that God is going to make all things beautiful in his time. That when I see the, the privileges and the prestige and the power and the um, possessions that we have are all swallowed up in the person and the work of Christ. That if I can see that Christ is the one that I go after, he is the sovereign one, that he will ultimately satisfy me. He will ultimately correct what is wrong. He will ultimately vindicate me and provide justice for me. See, Jesus was able to entrust his father to one who judges justly, you and I have to do the same. That as we live under the sun, with all the oppression and all the uh, in injustice and all the death, if we remind ourselves of future glory in Christ, there is hope. See, the glories of Christ, the majesty of Christ, 
the wonder of Christ, the hope of Christ, the beauty of Christ. It is not I, but Christ. Jesus is our what? Living hope. He is the only hope. And as you live in that way and hear those truths and have that worldview perspective, guess what will happen when you start to answer those questions of life? Who am I? I'm created in the image of God. I'm an image bearer. Why am I here? I am here to reflect God to a dark world. What is my greatest problem? My greatest problem is my own sin, my rebellion against God. What is my destiny? Because of Christ, my destiny is heaven. I trust in Christ and I'm going to heaven. What's the truth? I can find the truth in God's word. What is, what is the right thing to do? Live according to this truth. But I didn't give you the last question I asked my clients. Is Christ enough? So I can ask you who you are and where you are going. I can ask you what is true and what is right. I can ask you about what your greatest problem is. But the big question that you and I have to settle, is Christ enough? Is he sufficient? He is your only sufficient savior. For all the injustice, for those that fear death, for all the oppression in this world, turn to the only one that will set you free. Amen. In your sheet, um, with your announcements, two weeks ago or three weeks ago, I gave you a catechism, Heidelberg Catechism. And if you remember, I had said, we were talking a lot about comfort. And it says, I gave you this, this question, what is your only comfort? That I am not my own, but I belong body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and he has set me free from all the power of the devil. He has also preserved me in such a way that without the will of my Father, not a hair from my head can fall. Indeed, all things work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Question number two. What do you need to know in order to live and die in that joy? First, how great my sins and misery are. Second, how I am delivered from all my sins and misery. And third, how I am to be thankful to God for such a deliverance. I'm going to end with questions 12, 13, and 14, and 15. So on your sheet here. Questions 12, 13, 14, and 15 from the catechism go this way. Since... According to God's righteous judgment, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment. How can we escape this punishment and be again received into favor? Answer, God demands that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, full payment must be made either by ourselves or by another. Question number 13, can we ourselves make this payment? Answer, certainly not. On the contrary, we daily increase our debt, our guilt. See, I'm a sinner, but every day I keep adding more sins to my ledger. So what do I do? Question number 14, can a mere creature pay for us? No. In the first place, God will not punish another creature for sins which man has committed. 
further, no mere creature could sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. Here's question number 15. Hear this. What kind of mediator and deliverer must we seek? Remember, God is seeking justice. One answer. One who is true and righteous man. And yet, more powerful than all creatures. That is, one who is at the same time true God. Jesus Christ, truly man and truly God, lived a life that we could never live. He died a death in our place so that on all the injustice and all the death that you fear and all the oppression that you deal with, there is hope. There's a judge for those that are unjust, being, having injustice in the world. There is hope for life after the grave. There is a oppressor that will be vanquished because of Christ. And Christ alone. Would you pray? Father, I praise you and thank you because you are such an amazing God. Father, we sang just earlier that Christ is our living hope. Take it right out of First Peter. Jesus, Jesus is the living hope. And we find that in our salvation. We find that in his resurrection. And we find that in the fact that even when we take our last breath in Christ, we are with him face to face. So, Father, um, we have some broken systems in this world, a lot of them. There's injustice in this world, but help us to remind ourselves of the hope that you will judge. There's death in this world, but I remind us that absent from the body, present with you. There's oppression in this world, Lord, but remind us that Christ became oppressed to set oppressed people free. So help us to live in the light of the gospel grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He will hold me 
His promises shall last. Bought by Him at such a cost, He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. will hold me fast justice has been satisfied he will hold me fast raise with him to endless life he will hold me fast till our faith is turned to sight when he comes A special announcement real quick here from Lily who's gonna come up and speak to us. You can use this microphone, Lily, right in the front here. Okay. Uh, we are so excited to announce our children's Christmas choir is starting on November 7th. We are inviting children ages 4 to 12 to sing and glorify God with our voices. Our leaders are my mom, Christina Naley, and Sandy Wagner. We hope you can join us. We will have cards in the lobby with all the information. Thank you. All right, we'll close in prayer and then we'll be, uh, we'll be off. Lord, we thank you, God, for this, uh, this morning we can spend together. God, thank you that you do hold us fast, Lord. Thank you that you, um, there's a plan uh, for me, for us as Christians, uh, God, and that um, I'm sure everyone in this room <laughs> felt that question penetrate to their soul, is Christ enough? That's a powerful question that we're posed with this morning and one that I will wrestle with all week, I'm sure, and one that we wrestle with all the time. Um, God, you are enough, you know, and I know that and we know that as Christians. Lord, may that be true though. May, we, may our head knowledge become heart knowledge. 
with this, Lord. May you be enough. For us this week, God, whatever we're facing this week, whatever we're going through right now, you are enough. We know that. We thank you that we can encourage each other with that truth this morning, Lord. Singing songs, hearing your word from Pastor James, and knowing you are enough. You're enough for all of us, Lord. So when the, when the troubles come, when I fear my faith will fail, like we sang this week, or sang, uh, just a minute ago, um, God, may you be enough. May we know that and cling to that, Lord. So thank you for this morning. Thank you that we could be together singing and praising you and hearing your word. God, be with us as we go into this week, and may you be enough for us. We know you are. May that be true for us this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a nice week.